Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. I'm joined once again this week by Dan and Adrian. And this week we have a guest that I can't wait to introduce you to, Mr. Chris Harder. If you remember six months or so ago, we had Lori Harder on, who is his wife. And that conversation continues to be one of our most downloaded episodes of the Naked Leadership Podcast. Chris is a powerhouse. We talk about so many things like generosity and some of the things that he's currently struggling with or or challenges as a leader that he's dealing with. I can't wait for you to hear all the gems that are in here. But before we do, remember, if there's anything big you as a leader or your team are up against and you need some perspective around it, we'd love to talk to you. You can click on the link in the description of this episode. Now let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Conversation. This is Chad. I'm here with Dan and Adrian as usual. Gentlemen, how are you? Hey, great. Good to be here, man. Great. Thanks, Chad. Hey, let's get into this fast because we have a guest with us who is a powerhouse, Chris Harder. Chris, this this conversation has been a long time coming for us. We are so grateful to have you here. Thank you so much. Do you mind just giving, just taking a second introducing yourself? Yeah, no, I don't mind at all. Thanks for having me. You know, Chad, Dan, Adrian, it means the world that you guys would would put me here in front of your audience. And so, you know, I'm really excited to uh, share, share our story and share any kind of knowledge that we have that might help them. Um, you asked for kind of the, the Cliff Notes version of our story. So um, I'm Midwest born and raised, and I feel like there's a couple great things that happen to you when you're, you're raised in the Midwest. You get great work ethic. You get great... Um, uh, family values, you know, these core things that really matter. And then when you can take those good core things and bring them to the coasts where all the action is, I feel like that's kind of the perfect one-two punch. And that's what Lori and I did. You know, we grew, both grew up in the Midwest and uh, moved out to California and it took the little bit of momentum that we had moving out to California and, and just leveraged that to, to build this life that we have right now. And so today, as it stands, um, we have everything from a media company that houses our our different podcasts to um, there's seven different companies that we are uh, investors in. Um, We have our entrepreneurial training company. Uh, Lori has her alcohol brand. So we've got our hands in a a very diverse um, group of of projects right now. And it feels pretty lucky to, to be a part of that. I also want to make sure that we mention at the top, we had Lori on the show. Oh, it was probably six months ago now. Um, but such a good conversation continues to be one of our most downloaded episodes. So I will link that in the show descriptions as well. So as you're listening to Chris here and you want to hear how powerful his other half is as well, go take a the better listen. Better half. That. She's the better half for sure. Well, I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> it goes without saying. <laughs> so, the other thing I wanted to talk about really quick is that you made um, a pretty awesome announcement a few days ago, um, and I would lo- I would love for you to just take a minute. We're going to coincide the launch of this episode with that effort. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So I guess I'll have to back up a little bit. Um, a gentleman named Dean Graciosi is our neighbor. We just moved from LA to, to Scottsdale here. And just by sheer luck, uh, our neighbor right across the fence there happens to be Dean. And Dean is business partners and best friends with Tony Robbins. And so we've had these backyard chats where we're just talking about life and you know, talking about the different things that we've done and, and you know, the ways that we try and lift up the world. 
And he invited Lori and I into this collaboration that he and Tony are heading up. And it's, it's a five-day free training that will take any single individual who feels like they have a message inside of them that they want to monetize, who feels like they have maybe a comeback story, maybe an experience, maybe a skill set that they would love to package up into a course and get out there to people that need it. And so this is a massive act of generosity that Tony and Dean are heading up and they have pulled in trainers such as Jay Shetty and Trent Shelton and Shalene Johnson. I mean, the, the dream team, Jenna Kutcher, it, the list goes on and on and on of people that they've coordinated to do five days in a row of absolute free training on how to take this message that's inside of you, package it, market it, and get it out to the people that need it. And the reason behind this is right now we're seeing you know, what many call a K-shaped uh, recession. And if you picture the letter K, there's one leg going up and there's another leg going straight down. And the K-shaped recession means those who are already doing well at the top, their financial lives have gotten exponentially better. But those who were not already doing well, those who were maybe a paycheck away, right? We're talking about the average everyday person here, a paycheck away from uh, trouble. Those who were already maybe having trouble keeping, their lives, their financial lives have gotten exponentially harder the past year or so with everything that's gone on. And this is a chance to reach out to anybody who feels like they're struggling. Maybe they've lost a job. Maybe they've had to settle for a pay cut. Maybe they're barely making ends meet right now and train them how to take that skill set, that message, that thing that's inside of them, package it and get it out to other people that need it in exchange for, of course, um, money on, on the other end. And people hear that and sometimes they feel squeamish about that. Like, oh, wait, I don't wanna package my knowledge and sell it, that feels wrong to me. Except people have to realize that's an equal energy exchange. You know, some people in the moment will value money. Other people in the moment will value that knowledge even more than the money. And so it's an absolute win-win in this world when people package what they have that will help somebody else that's praying for a solution on the other end. You know, I've got a, I've got a course that's called The Money Principles, and it's only a few hundred bucks, but that few hundred dollars that somebody hands me for it, if that helps them make 10,000 or 100,000 or a million dollars worth of better decisions throughout a lifetime, that's more than an equal energy exchange right there. That's a life-changing exchange. And that's exactly what this five-day challenge is, is going to do. It's going to teach people how to take what's inside of you, get it out to those who need it. And of course, your life in return will become financially more advantageous as well. That's amazing, man. That sounds incredible. I am so glad that you and Lori are a part of this because you will bring so much value to this experience with some huge heavy hitters. I was so, I was just happy to see that that, that was the collaboration that was on your plate. Just so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. And if anyone wants to join it, I mean, it's really free. It's not kind of free. It's not all of the five days is 100% free. All they have to do is go to ownit64.com. We're calling it the own your future challenge. So go to ownit64.com, sign up and learn from the best of the best. Like people that literally charge thousands and thousands for their training. Imagine coordinating all these schedules, much less getting everyone to do it for free. That's what's happened. And so this is people's chance to, to go to ownit64.com and, and learn how to do this for free for five days. And it's all online, correct? All online, totally virtual. Yep. 
Awesome. That's great. Thanks wow. so much for promoing that um, and, and giving us the information on that. So let's dive in. I, I've got some questions for you. I think one of the things that when I think of Chris and Lori Harder um, and my experience of, of both of you is uh, one, obviously you're just incredible leaders. You've done some, you've built impactful businesses, continue to build impactful businesses. And yet your generosity is off the charts. What I mean by that is that, you know, when we have some marketing question or need some help uh, generating some energy behind something or something's not working, both of you have been so quick to put down everything and, and take a call. And uh, that's just been so impressive to me. And I, and I know that both we've talked about this with both of you is that that's intentional. Um, and, and, you know, that to me is the mark of a great leader. I'm wondering for you at this time in your life, you have so much, you, it seems like you always have something new going on. What are you learning currently about leadership? Oh, what a great question. I think leadership comes from the uh, stance of giving as much as you can without the expectation of getting anything back, but knowing that the way the world works your life is going to be better as a result of that giving, right? Something someday is going to come back to pay you back in spades for a favor that you did ages ago. And so, you know, when, when we make ourselves available, when we do something for somebody, we're not saying, ah, I know that in three months, Chad is going to have me on a show and let us promote our thing with Tony Robbins, right? Like that wasn't even on the radar back then. Life just happens to work that way sometimes. And so the more you give, Number one, the more you're going to feel better about yourself. That right there is the reward. But then further down the line, you're building what's called relationship capital. And I'm a firm believer that relationship capital is far more valuable than good old-fashioned capital capital, like money capital. Because relationship capital is there for you even when you're broke. Relationship capital is there for you when you're trying to get a new idea off the ground. Relationship capital is there when you're going through a breakup or a divorce or you're losing your company or you know, social media has ganged up on you, whatever is going on in your life, relationship capital is there for you, for you to tap into. And so the more relationship capital that you can build on a consistent basis by saying, yeah, I'm here for you. Yeah, I'll share this favor. Yeah, I'll you know, lift the curtain on this. The better off your life is going to be in, in the long run. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing that the world works that way. How do you strike that balance between I'm doing this for you to build relationship capital, which I love. I love that idea and that concept and, and believe wholeheartedly. How do you balance that with I'm doing this as an act of a human to another human out of kindness or, you know what I mean? That does the yeah. difference or the distinction make sense? It's one that I've maybe wrestled with or thought about and like, I don't want to, yeah. Anyway, I'll, I, I won't, no, I won't I inject myself into it, but go I love ahead. this question because this is where people go get kind of squeamish about it. And then they, they shut off. Right. And they say, well, I'm not going to do that because I don't ever want someone to perceive that I'm doing something, think I'm going to, I'm going to get something in return. And now look what happened when your fear is, I don't want to be perceived in this way. So therefore it stops you from doing that generous thing. Now that person who would have been on the receiving end of that generous act, that generous thing. Now they didn't get it. And so I love that you're asking about this. We know internally, we meaning each of us, right? Everyone listening right now. We know internally if we are giving because that's who we are, 
And then as a side effect, of course, your life is going to be better in the long run as you start to get things back down the road. Or if we are giving with the expectation that there's going to be an ROI, right? Or maybe an ROE, a return on energy. Um, if, if we're giving with the expectation that there's going to be an immediate return on that, you know, inside what's driving you to be generous, what's driving you to be a giver. And I think sometimes when, when we're young or when we're opportunistic, sometimes we'll fall into the trap of giving, hoping we're going to get something back. But it's almost like a rite of passage. If that internal drive to, to get something or accomplish something is what starts to build that muscle of giving on a consistent basis. And then you kind of mature your way out of that expectation that right away you're going to get something in return. And that just becomes who you are at the core. I mean, that's kind of a, a beautiful thing. You know, this also is kind of a, a attached. It's kind of a tangent to when people say, Hey, um, I don't want to be driven by material things. I don't want to be driven by cars or houses or bags or clothes because it feels wrong. I have a little different stance on that. My stance is if you're at a point in your life where a, a beautiful home or a certain car or something that you would be proud of is what's driving you at first, if that's what gets you out of bed and gets you to build the income producing machine that adds value to the world, and then you get the thing and you realize, ah, it's kind of cool, but it's not as cool as I thought. And now you say, what else would be better? What else would make me feel better? What else can I do? Now your income producing machine, right? This company that you built, it's up, it's running, it's printing money. And you've gone through that, that selfish rite of passage. And I don't mean selfish in a bad word there. That selfish rite of passage where you're saying, I'm doing it for the house, I'm doing it for the car, or I'm giving for this, or I'm giving for that. And now you're saying, what else could I put this to use with? that would feel better. And the end result is always, the answer is always generosity. At the end of the day, the thing that makes us feel the best is not the thing, is not the, the accolades. It's knowing that you made someone's life better. That's the one thing that I have not found to have, uh, to be affected by the law of diminishing returns yet. And what I mean by the law of diminishing returns is, you know, after a certain number of cars, they're not significant anymore. After a certain level of home, it's not significant anymore. But I'll tell you what, when somebody sends you a message and says, your podcast saved my life, or your podcast saved my business, or when you donated that money uh, last year, you don't realize, but it saved our home. That never is susceptible to law of diminished returns. That feels just as good the 100th time as it does the first time. It's so true. Yeah. I dig that. And I, I love that, you know, generosity is the song you sing a lot, man. I, I, um, I know that the choosing to be generous, uh, for me has, has been a, you know, a, an escape route out of so many, out of, out of so many scenarios in life, out of so many awkward moments in life, out of so many, you know, social anxiety ridden things out of so many, um, uh, you know, whenever I'm, uh, might sabotage something. If I start to think about someone else and like, how can I help them all of a sudden, anyway, the world gets, the world settles down. I, I would say for me, when I choose to have that generous lens that I'm looking through, it's like, online. if I, cause if I'm here for others, I'm, I lose self-concern, you know, yeah. you know, when I want to be of self, go be of service is what I say to myself. Okay. If I'm, if I'm like, you know, self conscious, then just go be of service, man. Go, yeah. go serve. I, 
I love that. Have you ever noticed how when you do something for yourself, you'll kind of give like a 90% effort, but when you do something for somebody else, you'll give 110% effort. I really believe that it's ingrained in us that listen, we're faulty humans. We're all massively faulty humans. Sure. And if we can train ourselves to be like a giver to a fault, or if we can train ourselves to be generous to a fault and make that what we're opting for over something else, like maybe drinking or being arrogant or being this or being that, heck, I would rather that be how I show up and in, in my crutch that I lean on than any of those other options out sure. there because it's at least so the output of that is making the world a little bit better. Place. So funny you said that. My, I was at my, uh, my daughter-in-law, my son-in-law's house and last year and he's got this big driveway at the bottom that needed to be swept. So I picked up a broom and I swept it. It took about two hours, a pretty big space. My wife comes down and goes, how come I can never get you to do that for our house? And I, I, just, and I, I remember doing it. I just really wanted to bless them. But yeah. I'm, I'm, and it felt great. But it, when she said that, I thought, yeah, why don't I? I mean, I could be blessing her the same way, but, but uh, it, it felt really good. I remember thinking I had, you know, all blistered up and I felt good about it. Yeah, right. And, and if it's your own, you know, your own place, you don't really feel like doing it, but somebody else, it feels so good to go do that for them. So I think that's a perfect example right there of why we're all driven to be givers. And the more you exercise that muscle, the more you realize, oh, this is the feeling I've been seeking. And, and, and it, it just becomes this thing that you get addicted to, right? We're all going to be addicted to something. It becomes this thing that you're going to be addicted to. And you know, um, Chad, you have this sign behind you that says, be optimistic. It, I don't know if people can see the video right now, but it says, be optimistic. I'm optimistic that if everybody did their part to create a little bit of extra abundance, right? So not just get by, but create a little bit of extra abundance, a, a little extra abundance of money, a little extra abundance of time, a little bit extra abundance of energy, and then use that to give it to somebody else who doesn't have that yet. I'm optimistic that that would cure 99.9% .9 of everything in the world that ails us right now, right? If we all played to the best of our ability and created what we were meant to create, we'd have enough solutions, we'd have enough money, we'd have enough time, we'd have enough answers to everything that ails us right now. And so we just have to lead by example and get as many people on that train as possible one by one by one. And I think that happens when people see us behaving this way, um, you know, by setting the example. People will ask me a lot of times, and I'm sorry if I'm going on a tangent here, but people will ask me a lot of times, they'll say, hey, I feel really bad about talking about, you know, when I give, I feel like it's wrong, or the Bible says this, or, you know, everyone has their reasons why talking about being a giver or showing yourself giving to somebody is a bad thing. And they'll say, you know, should I show it or should I not? My answer is do the 50-50 rule. Do 50% in the dark so you know you're just doing it for yourself. And then the other 50%, do it where people can see it. Because when you give in a way that other people can see, that reminds good-natured people to go do something generous that day. We see it all the time in like, let's say a Starbucks line, when someone buys coffee for the person behind them. What yeah. happens? It doesn't stop there. It turns into they buy it for the one behind them and behind them and behind them. And it starts a positive generosity chain reaction. That's what happens when you give in the light where people can see you remind good people to go do that good thing. It's so true. I, I had that happen about two weeks ago. And sure enough, about within the next week, I did it to somebody else. Yep. Yep. Because you remembered because someone inspired you. Someone put it back on your radar again. That's it. That's great. That's really, that's good. 
I just take the free coffee because except because <laughs> accepting is, is is a talent too. <laughs> Sometimes that's being generous too. You're 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 received. I'm gonna re- I'm gonna receive. receive that gift you're giving me and let you feel good. <laughs> hey, actually, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I I mean that as a joke, but but giving to somebody that is a good receiver is is really gratifying as well as i mean it's it feels like a mutual effort at that point right um so i i think there's so much truth in everything that you're talking about i love this this through line of generosity i'm wondering you lead teams um you collaborate with other people how do you take this same i mean you you've been talking about this in the sense of like reaching down or, you know, whatever, but I'm wondering how do you take this same principle being the naked leadership podcast that we are? I want to know how does this, how does this come into your leadership in your business? I I like to, you know, you said reaching down. I love to say reaching over, right? I feel like we're all in it together, running the same sprint together. It's a much better key traits of of leadership. And um, I'm going to give a few specific examples to answer your question. And I'm, the timing of this is ironic because I'm going to share these examples, not to say, look what we did. I'm going to share these examples so that maybe it'll inspire other leaders to do something similar. So when the pandemic hit, the first thing that we did is we immediately went to our teams and said, Hey, everybody, uh, we are setting aside an emergency fund of a thousand dollars per person for you to use, whether rent is short or your family needs something or you want to run out and buy groceries. Remember everyone was hoarding toilet paper and all that stuff. Um, You don't have to explain why you need it. You can just use it and we'll reimburse it right away. Or if you need us to give it to you ahead of time, you can do that. And if you need more, don't hesitate to ask. And a few people took us up on that and it helped make their life a little bit easier. Our teammates life a little bit easier during a time where they might've shut down during a time where they might've been concerned. Uh, Another good example is, um, my events manager, she was moving cross country recently. And I said, you know, Hey, what are you doing? We're wrapping up a mastermind that we're running. I said, what are you doing uh, next weekend? And she said, Oh, I'm packing up and I'm frantic. I'm behind. I, I don't know how I'm going to get all this stuff packed and into the truck. And I said, go get a mover. Now this was not like a moving package the way an executive would get. Or something. I said, go get a moving company, have them pack you up, have them move it and charge it to our company credit card. Because I knew that as a leader, relieving this stress, I could see the stress that she was just like freaking out over. I knew that relieving that stress was going to make her a better teammate from then on. Not only am I giving her time back, not only am I giving her energy back, but she's going to remember that when she was really feeling stressed out, that I helped to relieve that stress. So guess what's going to happen down the road when I'm stressed out? She's going to show up extra strong. She's going to show up in a way that maybe she wouldn't have shown up to help relieve that stress from me as a teammate. So those are just a couple of examples of like using this giving mentality, using this, this generous mentality to lead a team and make their life easier, give energy back to them so that they can then reinvest that energy back into the team's mission. I love that. Dan, Adrian, you both talk so much about generosity in lots of different ways. And I think this is, I'd love to hear from either of you, just some of your thoughts around this as you hear Chris. Those are awesome, Chris. Those, I mean, beautiful stories to illustrate the point. Adrian, you talk so much about generous communication as well, how that can look like a generous act. And I'm wondering just what's going on for you guys. 
Well, I'm thinking about, you know, there's a paradox that you've started, that you, especially even at the beginning as you were describing it, Chris, there's a paradox that you seem to befriend that most people might try to pick a side. Like, is it for them or is it for me? That's a paradox. Mm-hmm. And reality is, I mean, let's use, if I use your example of, is it for, is it for her or is it for us? Let's say us as the company. Oh, it's both. Yes, it's for her, but as it's for her, it's also for us. And as, as then she's for us in the future, when we have need, then she'll be there for us. And that'll also then be there for her, right? There's this like non-stop, um, uh, you know, complex, like it's a, it's a, it, it works with, it's a cycle that works with itself. And you seem to befriend that, you know, that dynamic and, and not be scared of it that, oh yes. Oh, giving feels great. That's part of why I do it. And it might even be the first part of why I do it. Cause I, I, I mean, happened to me yesterday. I'm at, I'm at a shop we're shopping, Allie and I are shopping. She's checking out. I've noticed this guy because I just sit around watching people all day long. I noticed this guy, he's at the, he's at the next cash register over. He, I've made up a story about him in my head that he's buying something for his girlfriend. I don't know, but he's in this store. Um, yeah, I'll just leave it there. He's in this store. He's buying something for his girlfriend. The, the, the lady, I heard her say 100, $102.37. He brings out a $100 bill and puts it on the counter. And she said, great, you only need 237. I do the math. I don't think this guy speaks English. And I just see this happening. And he freezes and says nothing. She repeats it twice. I just immediately walk over, put $3 down. And walk, I don't even make eye contact with the guy. Just put $3 down, walk back over and just keep doing whatever I was doing. Because I don't want, you know, I don't know what's going to go on for the dude. If he's going to feel weird about it or whatever, I just don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm pro this dude's buying something for his girlfriend. In my head, I'm like, yeah, man, you had a hundred dollar bill and you spent it on your girl at a boy, you know? <laughs> anyway, the, the, the cash register, she was flabbergasted and Allie's, and I'm just trying to keep my head down. And did I do that? Uh, because I would tell the story. No, because I didn't even, I was almost not even going to tell the story, but as a part of this thing, it's like, I did it because it's the right thing to do. And I knew I'd feel great doing it. And I did. Mm-hmm. I felt great doing it. And I know that Allie would be proud of me when I did it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I knew that she would be proud of me and she would say, wow, my dude, you know, and that's a gift to her and a gift to me too. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I knew that the, the person at the counter at Zara would be like, whoa, let me tell you guys, let me tell you what happened today. This random dude just gave, didn't even know this guy and didn't even make anything, you know, and, Anyway, there's a lot of self in there that's like, you know what? It's good. We got to, you know, and it's good for that dude that I'll never, ever see again. So anyway, this chair, this um, charity works on all sides, like being generous works for the giver and for the receiver. And I like the, the meta theme of yours is if, if we practice generosity for all of its, for all of its motives, the world gets better. Yeah, right. If we're consistent about it for all the right reasons, then everyone's else, everyone else's life will get consistently better and our life will get consistently better. Yeah. And, you know, the very fact that, Adrian, you were, gonna, you were saying, well, I wasn't even going to tell this story. It shows that we're programmed to almost be weird about it, to almost have shame around these acts of generosity. But the problem is we need people to see these. Like I said before, we need good, well-intentioned people to be reminded to go out of their way because we're busy. 
I mean, let's be honest. Life is busy. We're taking care of families. We're taking care of businesses. We're barely keeping the train on the track some days. Mm -hmm. And so we forget that, oh, I'm going to feel good or it's going to signal to the universe that I've got extra or it's really going to help somebody's day if I pause what I'm doing and go create or do this act of generosity. Mm -hmm. And I'm just such a fan of, I believe that God or the universe, whatever the, the listener believes in right now, I'm such a fan that it was put inside of us. Certain things were put inside of us to drive us to do the right thing. Like the reason why reproducing feels good is because we need to reproduce or we won't have the human race anymore. The reason why those endorphins you get when you work out or run feel good is because we wouldn't work out or run without how good those endorphins feel. Well, the same thing with giving. The reason why giving feels good is because we might forget to do it. We might forget to put ourselves out if it weren't for chasing that feeling. You know, it's interesting, the word generous, its root is genetic or genesis, which is the, the, the origin of things, the origin of all things is genesis. So it, you're talking about it was built into us. It is, it's literally in our genetics. And when you're doing that, you're actually, you're, and I, I don't know this, but I'll bet, your your neurology changes when you give mm-hmm. you know when you're giving yourself when you're giving and you feel good about it, that's the, your whole chemistry is going to be changing yeah yeah I, that'd be a fascinating study i'm sure it's been done somewhere i'd love to actually dig that up now yeah so so in this in this conversation we I, you know one of the one of the things we hear so often is that it's lonely at the top mm-hmm. and obviously that's a story and that's a that's a posture that so many leaders take on themselves but maybe don't re- realize that they're taking it on themselves until somebody can help them be aware or or they become aware some way I, i'm curious for you one thing that helps um uh, uh go against that idea is hearing other leaders' stories, struggles, things they're up against, things that, that are challenging them in the moment, right? Because then that helps somebody else who's, who's experiencing this, a similar challenge uh, relate and not feel alone. I'm wondering um, for you, Chris, right now, is there something in your role as a leader, leading your teams and your companies and your collaborations, is there something specific that's challenging you right now? Oh, God, yes, always. Um, I'm coming out of one challenge and then trying to navigate another, I'll explain them. The one that I'm just coming out of is I had the most absurd first quarter schedule I have ever dreamt of having in my life. And I don't know how it ended up the way it ended up, but I just woke up and all of a sudden was burnt out and exhausted with back to back to back, seven day a week shenanigans. And I remember some weeks dreading the week coming up. And that hasn't happened to me in a long, long time. Dreading the week coming up, having those Sunday scaries because I didn't want to play the game that week. I didn't want to participate. It looked too intimidating to me. And there were so many days in in the first quarter that we literally just wrapped up that I had to get through it just one day at a time, turn to Lori to kick me back in the game on the days I wanted to quit, turn to some of my friends to kick me back in the game on the days I wanted to quit. There were days I wanted to blow it all up. That's it. I didn't care anymore. It wasn't worth it. But then when I got through that quarter, I felt the sense of pride. I felt the sense of, wait, I didn't think I was going to make it through that. And I made it through. And as a matter of fact, 
I learned X, Y, and Z about myself. And now I feel like a stronger person coming out the other side. So that's what I just finished navigating. And I feel like I didn't do the story justice painting just how bad that first quarter was. I mean, COVID for three weeks, you name it. It was nuts. You can spend a few more minutes on the pain if you want to. I I feel it. It was nuts. But the thing I'm uh, navigating right now is we have had a lot of opportunity come our way. Um, A lot of really neat projects. And you reach a point sometimes, and maybe this is where the saying it's lonely at the top comes from, because I'm going to be frank. A lot of times you you don't want to talk about these things because they sure seem like problems of privilege or uh, first world problems, right? We have a lot of incredible opportunities right now. And every one of them I want to participate in. And every one of them I see my role in. And every one of them is going to be a home run, except I can't do them all. I don't have the time to do them all. I don't have the money to do them all. I don't have the team to do them all. I don't have the resources to do them all. And I've been having to say no to things that I once prayed for or hoped for. I've been having to say no to things that, you know, last year at this time, I would have been so grateful just to have this one opportunity. And that's been really hard because a feeling of lack has kicked in, right? I want to do it all. What if I choose the wrong thing? A feeling of, significance has kicked in, you know, I don't want to let this person down or I won't be significant to them anymore. Or I don't want to not be uh, on this project with these people. Or I won't be significant anymore. All of those things have kicked in and it's been really hard to exercise those boundaries of saying, I know this is a great opportunity, but it's not a great opportunity for me right now. And uh, again, first world problem, but it really is a tough thing to navigate through sometimes that feeling of scarcity of what if I choose wrong or jealousy when you watch a project skyrocket and you know, you could have been on it. Those are real things to navigate. And those are tough. FOMO. FOMO. Yeah. Yep. Well, and the, and the fact that you're on the naked leadership podcast right now, just really I'm strokes my ego. Your picker is doing great. I'm just saying, if you're in the best hour, you found, found a great place. But how do you how do you um, talk through a little bit about how you decide where the asymmetries are? Like, what's really worth it? How do, you know what are the knobs maybe or the filters by which you like make that call? Because there's lots of lots of different reasons to do anything. So it's a yeah. great question. Great, really good question. So the way I've been sorting out these yeses and nos to these opportunities has been: Is this a yes for ego? Like, do I want to be seen doing this with these people, or do I want to? people to know I was a part of this project. So the first one is, is this an ego saying yes, or is this really an opportunity you should be taking? And I struggle with that sometimes. Um, The second filter that I've been using is, is this really in your wheelhouse or are you being invited in and are you saying yes, just because it's trending right now? Like there's this incredible NFT project that I had a chance to be a part of. And you know, I know this much about NFTs, but I don't know enough to really have that be in my wheelhouse, nor do I ever want to learn enough. It's not my personality type to have that really be in my wheelhouse. But let's be honest, the whole world's talking about it right now. And it's incredible. And it's this rocket ship. And, you know, it's, it's like when the internet was invented, it's, it's internet 2.0. And, but honestly, it's just not in my wheelhouse. And I had to say no to that project to say yes to another one that that is in my wheelhouse, that is in my expertise, that is something I can move the needle on, that is something that I could participate in and study and learn about and, and love being in it instead of just being in it because it's cool and it's a rocket ship right now. 
So those are kind of the filters that I've been using to decipher, is this for me right now? And will I be happy that I said yes to this project in 24 months? Or is this just a really shiny, sexy opportunity and I'm choosing it from ego or I'm choosing it from lack? Like, you know, I'm afraid to be left out or I'm afraid that I'm going to regret saying no. Yeah. You know, you just, that's a, it's an interesting, in, in uh, risk management, they have a thing called the hundred door theory, which is you know, when you have a hundred doors, you got to pick which one or two you're going to go through. Mm-hmm. And they say the best thing you do is identify what you're doing, identify the doors, you close the doors until you have the two left or mm-hmm. three left, right? And uh, it's interesting how you pick them off. It really made sense to me. I love yeah. that. I haven't heard the hundred door theory. That's, yeah. it's a great metaphor because that's, Everybody has so many doors they can walk through, right? But you can't walk through them all at the same time. You just can't. Yeah, well, it, I found it interesting in your answer. You didn't talk at all about money. You didn't talk a lot about time. Mm-hmm. Time was a big deciding factor. Uh, time was, I knew I had to say no to many of these things because I wasn't going to have the time to be a good partner for them all. And I've done that before where I've said yes to too many things and then I've shown up not my best self because everyone's getting kind of leftovers instead of getting focus. Um, so that was a, a big fear from a, a time standpoint. Uh, but it was more like I wasn't choosing the projects based on this one's very time consuming or that one's very time consuming. I was choosing to say yes and to say no, knowing that my past mistakes were thinking I would have enough time to do them all. So time was the driver that made me uh, kill off some of these opportunities. Sure. Not what I used to choose which ones. They were all mm-hmm. pretty time consuming in, in, in equal parts. Money um, was also a factor the same way time was. So not that this project would cost more, or that project would cost more. I mean, one of the ones I said yes to, I'm going to have to raise a ton of money for, right? And um, so money wasn't a factor from this over that. Money was a factor from once again saying, just like time, I can't spread my money a little bit everywhere. I have to focus what I can invest in just this thing and this thing. And knowing that that's what it's going to take to move those, those needles on those projects. And so time and money were more of the, the factors that were causing me to say no to some things, not what I was using to choose one thing over another. Yeah. Makes sense. It's, it just seemed, it seemed like one of the principles is potency. Like what, you know, where am I going to focus and make a big splash versus doing what you said you've been doing, or I've done a million times. Like, Oh, I'll just say yes to everything mm-hmm. as if that's, I can actually be everywhere. I can't be everywhere. I can act like it in my head or show up and give my 5% hoping that they feel like it's more than that. But yeah. that's also, that also haunts at least me. That always also haunts me. I know when I'm not showing up, in a way that I up to my own capacity. And, you know, that's troublesome for me. So you're, I hear you saying, you know, okay, let me get, let me give myself less slots, which is a more honest predictor of what's going to be meaningful to me and impactful out there. Yeah. And then that's, choose, that's so choose potency me. over maybe even choose potency over possibility. Like, I don't know. Adrian, as you were saying that, I, I, I realized something. I, I, I had this moment of realization. The part of me that said yes to everything in the past is the same part of me that's generous. And that is, I want everyone to feel like I'm there for them. And I want everyone to think that I like their project and and that I want to help them move it forward. 
And coming from that, that good place makes you make bad decisions sometimes. Mm. And so half of navigating the yeses and nos of these projects has been swallowing that part of my ego that wants to be liked by each one of these people. Um, Cause there were a couple of people that were disappointed that I wouldn't be a part of the project. And um, I, I know it's not going to be damaging in the long run. What, you know, what would have been more damaging in the long run yeah, is saying up. yes. And then showing up as a crappy partner. Exactly. Exactly. Showing yep. up half-ass. That'd yep. be an insult, really. Yep. So hey, Dan, come closer to the microphone if you don't mind. I just don't want to lose your comments. Sorry. It's such a, you can tell I'm sounding this out live as we're, as we're doing this here. I'm processing through it live. Life is funny because the, some of the things that drive you to be a good person will drive you to show up like the person you don't want to show up as once in a while, speaking of leadership. And so as a leader, are you spreading yourself too thin and now your team feels neglected? And as a leader, uh, even in your own relationship, are you spreading your resources too thin? And, and now your, your partner feels neglected. You know, as a leader, do your business partners feel like you're carrying your weight or do they feel like they're doing more than you because you've got so many projects going on? It's, it's a funny thing to navigate. Mm -hmm. It is. I was just hanging with some guys this morning and one of the comments, the throwaway lines, one of the guys said was, um, people pleasing is a life of lies. Mm. Wow. I thought, holy shit. <laughs> wow. Isn't that the truth? People pleasing is a life of lies where it's, I mean, I'm making, I'm taking your, what you were talking about and just thinking about myself, about how much time I tell people what I think they need to hear, what they want to hear, or really just to protect myself from disappointing someone or letting someone's down. But then I've just not been true. Yeah. And then I feel the weight of like not being that true. And it might come from a good point or from a good, it's one of those mixed, I think, I think that's one of those mixed bag situations. Again, it's like partially it is for them. I really want for them, but I also kind of don't want to let them down simultaneously. And I'll sometimes represent like I'm actually there, but I'm not really there, but that inauthenticity is actually not real. Yeah. And yet it came from a good place. Came this from a good is place. the crux, right? I wish I could, but I can't make everybody happy ends up backfiring. So I think it's a, it's a real level of maturity and leadership. Yeah. When you mm -hmm. can start to override that part of you that wants to be a good person to everyone and everything and be a great person to a few things. I think that's that next level of maturity and leadership. Mm -hmm. I've seen that just as a, and as a guy that's 40, almost coming up on 41 years old. Um, and really learning about friendships mm -hmm. in new ways in this season of my life. Yeah. I really spent my 20s and I don't know, maybe most of my 30s up until today. Anyway, I've, most of my life, I've spent a lot. I've spent a little time with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I've got other friends in my life now that have like a core group of, of dudes. I'll talk about guys, friends with guys, core group of guys that are like always hanging out and connected. And I don't have that. I mean, to be, to, to be honest, I don't really have that in my life of like a core group of guys that are always hanging out together. I'm really jealous of people that have that, but part of it is this, this dynamic of who should I spend time with or who wants to spend time with me and let me spend a little bit of time everywhere. In the meantime, because I didn't develop a crew over time. So this works out in relationships. I meet so many guys that are the mid and you know, the, especially guys that are married, have, have a big job, they're married and start to have kids and are really lonely because they give up or they don't have, they're spread so thin. They don't have like a core group of friendships. I think this can happen. At least I know this happened for me like this. Yeah. I'm, I'm 43 right now. And 
when I examine my friendships, I feel like it's only been, I mean, true to the point that you just made the past couple of years that I've got this great core. Like we have this, this men's group that we all fly in to uh, one city every single month to have dinner and hold each other accountable and talk about what's going on in life. Like that's a real commitment to a core group of, of busy friends. Um, but I've only had that the past couple of years before that is just like what you were saying, Adrian, trying to be a friend to so many people because there's so many awesome people out there that you you end up just being a mediocre friend to everyone. Yeah. And it's, it's a rite of passage to realize that it's, it's sometimes saying no to great opportunities and sometimes saying no to great people is the kindest thing you can do, but it feels counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. I don't want to, I don't want to take a hard left, but uh, I'm going to. Here we are. Um, Anyways, <laughs> this has been so great. I, something, I heard you say something that I just wanted to, to double click on really quick as we start to round out this conversation. You, t- you told your first story um, about what's been challenging you. And that was your first quarter schedule. And then you said, and I learned X, Y, and Z about myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was really curious to know what's X, Y, and Z. One of the biggest things I learned about myself is if I have downtime in my schedule, I feel a little bit ashamed. I feel a little bit like I'm not accomplishing. And you could call it an addiction. You could call it uh, a fear-based sense of always having to be producing to be accomplishing, which we know is not true. But you know, intuitively, that, that was the way I was behaving. Um, you know, I see my wife, Lori working so hard on her, her startup right now that I feel like I have to match that pace for pace or somehow I'm letting her down, um, instead of honoring that, you know, maybe we're just in different seasons or building different things right now. Um, that's the biggest thing I learned about myself was the, the discomfort I felt if I had a free hour, if I took a a lunch, you guys we're talking, I mean, this is a sick level. If I took 10 minutes and just sat down doing nothing to eat lunch, I felt like I was doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And that I really had to come face to face with and start to work through and start to realize, Hey dude, that's a problem. Like you need to address that. And this is why you're feeling so burnt out. Cause I felt like from the moment I woke up to the moment I dragged myself to bed, I I was just running on empty back to back to back to back to back with no, no time for myself. And uh, I, I, I take that back because my mornings, I've always had good boundaries around my mornings, but once I allowed myself into the game, it was back to back to back to back to back. And um, now here we are in April as we, we record this, I have space. Like I don't have to rush off this thing and go get into something else. And at first that felt awkward. And now I'm just honoring it. Now I'm appreciating it. Now I'm not afraid to, be like, hey, I'm going to use this half hour. I'm going to run over here and I'm going to go get a smoothie from this place. Something to make my life more fun. And Lori and I, we just dropped a, a podcast together last week or the week before where we were talking about these ways that we've decided that we're going to interject more fun into our work days. Simple things like instead of sitting in my office all day long, I'm going to go work in the backyard or mm-hmm. I'm going to go over and work at this uh, car club that I just joined. Or I'm going to block off breaks in the day and I'm going to pick up a book, heaven forbid, in the middle of the day and read it, you know, gasp 
to me before that would have been insane. <clears throat> so we're holding each other accountable to interjecting these little acts of fun, these little acts of relief into our day so that it doesn't feel like this race of monotony and, and panic. Beautiful, man. I think I, I share your sickness. I share your illness. <laughs> I think a lot of us do. We don't talk about it enough. We could start a recovery organization, I think. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm not kidding. We don't talk about this kind of thing enough, you know? Recovering founders. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> Our first meetings in Hawaii. Let's, let's put it there. <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate you taking a risk with us and, and going there, man, and just sharing that experience. It's so... Uh, familial for me. It's so relatable. Um, and I just really appreciate you being willing to share that. I think it'll, it'll uh, be helpful to a lot of people. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the whole reason that I love your, your platform and that we all get on each other's shows and, and that we take these timeouts to have these conversations because sometimes the person on the other end listening to this, it's their only sense of normalcy that they're going to get. It's the only time they're gonna be like, oh, thank God I'm not alone. Oh, thank God I can recover from this. Oh, thank God I've been feeling this way too and it's natural or it's okay or it can be course corrected. Sure. If we don't have platforms like yours, then we go through life thinking we're insane and thinking we're the only one and you know, being one moment away from absolutely just breaking down. And, and that's not how life is, is meant to live at all. Yeah. yeah. Well, Chris Harder, you are a gem and I really, really appreciate you uh, and your generosity in this conversation and life in general and how you've helped us move some of our projects down the field, all of it. Um, can you, do you want to take just a second, just make sure people understand where they can interact with you? Yeah. Well, you know, we started out talking about the uh, Own Your Future Challenge. You can sign up there totally free for the five days of training at ownit64.com, O-W-N-I-T-64.com. And if you want to listen to the podcast, it's the Chris Harder show, just at chrisharder.me, click on podcast. All the episodes are there. Uh, those are the two best places to, to hang out with me. Amazing. Thanks, man. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, brother. Be my pleasure, guys. Pleasure. Talk more soon. All right, bye-bye, everybody. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us. and We'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. Oh,